0: Welcome to the Life After ECT podcast. In this presentation, electrical injury expert
1: Dr. Mark Yeshski explains the similarities between high and low voltage electrical
0: injuries, the physical, social, mental health and economic impact of electrical injury, and what research is needed to improve patient outcomes. We thank Dr.
1: Yeshski for allowing us to share this important information for all impacted by electrical injury, and those harmed by ECT in particular. Thank you. So electrical injuries, that's what we talked tonight. Um, I think we will uh, all agree it's underappreciated, but it has a tremendous impact in patients and a lot of us. Um, the outline is I'm going to give you a little bit of information, what burns has in common with electrical injuries. And I will talk about high, low, high versus low as well as the consequences. And uh, I, sh- I think you didn't have dinner yet because there will be a couple of images. They are graphic, uh, particularly uh, two or three, and I will tell you when they come. But I think that it's very important to understand what electrical entry means, what a burn means. Well, impactful it can be, but also the other side uh, when you don't see as much. So I'm just warning you, the next two one will be uh, such as an example, not not this one, the next one. So why is burns important? Why are EIs important? And the similarity is striking, actually. Burns, was it's very similar to EIs a long time not being recognized for being important and have a socioeconomic impact that's beyond what we comprehend. And, uh, particularly Burns for this young lady, she was one of my first patients here in Toronto. She wanted to be a model. She put this card together, you want to act, model, sing, um, and there was a dream until one evening, our girlfriend decides to, uh, tell her to put bonfire, accidentally uh, on a bonfire and she ended up with me at about 30% burn. Her career was done. Electrical injuries or any burns you can see here can happen to anybody at any time, at any moment. And we are not aware of it. It's not in our minds with a burns, no electrical injury. It's just not in our mind. And that is devastating because once it happens, it has a tremendous impact. And if you think about just from a global perspective, we have approximately 30,000 people every year, 11 million people every year getting burned and 30,000 people every day that are being burned and so we have 180,000 deaths globally, which is basically means every two to three minutes, somebody dies from a burn, including electrical injuries. Um, fortunate for us, it's that the North American, Canada and US are leaders in terms of burn care, burn development and innovation, uh, as well as EI, and the majority of deaths are really occurring in several countries, such as Africa, India, South America. Uh, Canada, so our US, it's 1 to 10,000 burns occur in the US, 40,000 require hospitalization. Canada, it's one tenth. We have about 44,000 ED visits and 2,500 to 3,000 hospitalizations. But look at also deaths 240 deaths, 1,000 disab- disabled patients, uh, which is quite a lot for a country uh, that is uh, a 20th of the United States. So, what happens with burns? How did burns improve outcomes or how did burns change? And if you think about burn, it's much more vis- visual. You look at this and you feel the heat, the flames. And again, a burn injury is quite profound. As this patient, he was hanging upside down in tar, and he was 60% burned. How do you, or oh, 70% burned, how do you get somebody who's hanging upside down in a big fire to survive? How did we change? this aspect and this approach what we haven't done in the eis and you can see here the burn patients um the burn patients special needs are you need critically you have critical care you have wounds surgery malnourished stiffness inflammation stress psychiatric issues socialists and the list is really really long and how do we get him to survive it is by a long list of specialists not only physicians nurses uh or technicians pharmacists and so forth all of these are highly specialized and dedicated to the care of burn patients. And if you can see here an example from the Ross City Burn Center, we have a complex medical team. We have a complex nursing uh, team. There's over 150 people that are dedicated, including rehabilitation and mental health, which is very important, as well as geriatric medicine, uh, which is something novel to improve the care of these patients. And to give you an example how we take care of them, the patient is submitted in a tub room, Uh, is resuscitated, stabilized, goes to the unit, goes to the OR, comes back to the unit, goes and so forth until it's being discharged. And then you basically go into the clinic, which is left lower and then rehabilitation. And this is how we make sure our patients survive. And you can see, we admit about 300 a year. We see about three and a half thousand outpatients jobs at uh, Sunnybrook, And there's another couple thousand patients at St. John's at the rehab hospital. So we are we are a high volume center. We are the biggest in Canada. And you can see here, this is what we typically see, what we admit is 72% is fire, flame, 7 to 10% is electrical. So that's a big number. It's anywhere from 20 to 30% that we see our patients that are electrical injuries. So that's, that's important to note for you later on. How did this work? How did our multidisciplinary approach uh, improve outcomes? You can see that's a study from a couple of years ago. Where we in Canada compared non burn center to burn center, just the readmission, which is something very trivial. Does the patient be need to readmitted for some care or not? And you can see here in red that burn centers have a much lower readmission incidence, which tells you right there that the care is multidisciplinary, focused on rehabilitation. It's superior to non burn centers because, again, the complexity and the multidisciplinary aspect. It's also reflected mortality. Here you see our mortality, and I started in about uh, here at at this time, and since then we really implemented geriatric mental health rehabilitation, Saint John's, and so forth. And you can see our mortality keeps on declining and declining. So we really, due to team approach, which is this picture showing you, Burns is a team approach, and it is a team approach that also raised awareness that it that got society, community, medical acknowledgement how important it is to have a team, and that's a problem for electrical injuries. It is also essential uh, that we build capacity through innovation and research. If you think about when you look at publications on burns and electrical injury, it's a tremendous discrepancy of about 50 to 100 folds. What is really going on in electrical injury research? It's very minimal, and that is an issue because innovation and research drives this forward. And here's, this is why the patient you just saw, who was hanging upside down in Tuqwa-Tar, this is what we strive for: somebody who survives this massive injury and has a good quality of life. That's our goal for burns. And again, we we got there quite nicely. But now translating this, uh, and again, he's our poster child. You see here, he was. Uh, this is the accident. He was in the OR here, the ICU. This is a little bit of fake, but we acted there. Uh, but you know, funny enough, he had. Uh, before his accident, he was an alcoholic, a drug abuser, who didn't want to live, who actually uh, well, thought of committing suicides. And then he, the injury and the burns, it's, he calls it himself, it's the best thing that ever happened to him. Because he met the caregiver, he fell in love with each other. Her children came from, um, um, that was from Asia, and he now has a family. And he says the burn thing is, again, the burn incident was the best thing that ever happened. We call it post-traumatic growth. So we have some success stories. And again, we learned a lot from burns. So how can we now move on to electrical injuries? What are electrical injuries? And you see, this can be extremely devastating. And just, I don't know, you, we're all electrical experts, but it's I think history is very important. And uh, prior to common use of electricity, uh, electrical injuries were due to lightning. And 93 deaths in a year due in the US are due to lightning. We, we had two patients that one, was a golf uh was playing golf and was swinging his uh club back and got struck by lightning the other one was a soccer player he was actually by the sun's absence on the soccer field they were both on tv because it was recorded with those uh cameras that are out there now so we see those patients as well but before there was electricity people died from lightning then the invention of electricity came thomas edison dc george westinghouse ac and Funny enough, and very bizarrely enough, the first electrical fatality was in 1879. So that's some time ago. And again, what have we learned? Not a lot. Um, The background, you all know the current is equal to the voltage divided by resistance. And that is extremely important for uh, injuries that occur in humans. Because the highest resistance uh, we have is in bone, fat, and tendon. Intermediate is the skin and the lowest in nerves, blood vessel, and muscle. So any high voltage uh, injury goes in and go, picks the, the way of least resistance. So you have destruction of nerves and blood vessels. And again, if it then goes further and the electricity takes over and then it goes into bone, fat, and tendon, and this is when catastrophic events hit. But even low voltage can go into these tissues and destroying. But it's very important to realize that it's your ants, causing the tissue damage and if you're over two thousand milliamps that's futile that's uh lethal you're not going to survive but even 1 milliamp 1 milliamp 5 milliamps you can actually have electrical injuries which is something that is extremely important to remember because that is such a low amp that uh that that's a low current um that uh it is quite brutal uh that can happen so quickly In terms of voltage, there was discussion about high and low. People discuss where is what's low, what's high. Currently, the common agreement is uh, under 1,000 volt is low voltage, over 1,000 volt is high voltage. Uh, My record holder is almost a million, uh, it's it's a hundred, uh, no, it was one million volts. So it was uh, in a tremendous electric entry and he survived this, Uh, but very common we have from this high high voltage is, um, is over 500 to 600,000 kilovolts. So quite significant um, injuries that can occur. Um, when do electrical injuries occur? And again, I'm not sure you all are aware or know all of this data, but in adults, it's mostly at home. It's at work, in children, it's mostly at home. So again, the US is much better in capturing data than us in Canada, uh, but over 500 deaths a year in the US in adults, uh, Workplace and it's the fourth leading cause of work-related traumatic death. So that's quite an impactful statement. Electrical injury are fourth leading cause of work-related traumatic death. If you think about this: it's not burns, it's EIs. Children are many; more, there are many more cases. Two thousand, more than two thousand cases here in the US, and it's at home and it's because kids touch the outlets or the electrical, the wall outlets, put screwdrivers in there or play with toys, and uh, that's a disaster, like you can see here. Um, and I worked in a pediatric hospital and we got a, to- a, a lot of pediatric patients who were admitted due to electrical injury. Um, so 10% of patients with a brain injury suffer also in electrical injury. And so in Canada, we have about six to 8,000 estimated injuries that occur every year, which in my opinion is quite a significant number. Uh, but it was, what is very concerning and it's what I learned over the last 11, 12 years since I came is that many colorectal injury patients never receive care beyond the emergency or thereafter, and there's lack of awareness. And I think that's something very important, and I want to emphasize this throughout my talk. You can see here, that's the number of emergency department visits. It's usually males that go up more you can see the green line much more than females so males because they think they're handy or sometimes are stupid i have no idea but you can see males go more to the emergency uh the visits and uh then females and you can see there is a slight decline but i also think there was an increase uh over five six and the recent data the electrical safety authority of ontario released it i i don't think there's a steep decline it's somewhat plateaued it's uh, can be explained by the huge patient population, population of influx we have um currently in ontario and what do we see in terms of hospitalizations? you can see here we plateaued as well around 50. alberta has about 30 to 40. uh toronto has 40 to 50. the Ke- quebec uh, used to be high much significantly higher and they stopped reporting because of their their high numbers but uh, we know from uh some governmental contact this remains an issue in quebec um, and you see here that the majority of electrical injuries in Ontario, and I think it's very similar to Alberta, is uh, occupational rather than non-occupational. So it's during the jobs. And it's very interesting when you look who gets hurt. It's electrician in a third. It's a line man in 17%. Then the technicians, maintenance, light, HVACs, 14%. But 45% are building maintenance supervisor, well Crane operators, and so forth. So people that are not necessarily educated and trained in uh, in electricity. So we need to uh, be aware of this, that I actually think that the linesmen and the electricians are usually extremely prepared, knowledgeable, and vigilant about electricity. But what we lack is this construction um, and these building uh, constructions aspect. There, there we have a challenge. But as you can see, there is some education that we can do. And when you look at the number of allowed deficit lost time electrical injury claims, you see that electrocutions are by far superior to any other, even burns, second, third, fourth, whatever burns. No, it is the electrical injury causing the most time off work in any injury. And again, see here the lost time electrical injuries, it's uh, the where the services are manufacturing, servicing, construction, government, and municipalities, autonomous. So you can see that is not necessarily our alignment in our electrical industry that is a problem. So now I'm, I'm again I'm not sure about the Alberta data, but in Toronto it is really construction, the lack of education, the lack of knowledge that is a significant problem. And I think there is now initiatives. I speak to the ESA, uh, they speak to the government, so there is uh, ongoing dialogue how to improve awareness and improve uh, prevention of electrical injuries, but. Um, so, what do we do as physicians when electrical injuries come? We just heard low voltage, high voltage. So, what are the symptoms? Well, it's very easy high voltage, burnt skin, lots of muscle, a lot of skin, heart problems, organ failure, mood, um, CNS failures, vision, hearing, cardiac arrest, fatalities. That's very clear. You see, it's devastating, it's quite impactful, and there is no doubt that these patients get immediate recognition. Like this, it's a picture from our electrical safety uh, board and showing this, this uh, electrician who worked on this panel had a splash and electrical injury. Again, he gets immediate attention. And uh, that is something that is, is maybe has an impact in a big role. And just to tell you how this happens in a good field story is this is a 22-year-old patient that was burned close to the Winnipeg border all the way up North Ontario. And he was high voltage, and you can see here there's massive damage of his bilateral arms. And he had runs to his abdomen. He was a high voltage injury of 250,000 volts. He came to us delayed. Uh, we couldn't save his arms and he's 22. So when he woke up and his mom was there and I consented mom, he was my patient. He is my patient. Um, I had the moments that we, he would lose both arms. And, uh, mom was like, well, save his life. And he's 22. And so he went through this. And again, he went rehabilitation, got specialized prosthesis that you can see him here. Uh, there was a 20-year anniversary event. He came as a, as a visitor. He actually showed up, surprising me. He visited us. And uh, that's the same. So he really relearned really how to live with this. And so even devastating injuries are not necessarily the end of the, of uh, of their lives. And there's people that really come through this. He's extremely positive. And yes, these myoelectric prosthesis, so he can now pick up an egg and uses these automatic prosthesis as you can see here and again and it's something that's very important as well the the electrical companies uh, the electrical community takes care of their people and support their people to actually get those prosthesis or the best care possible and i think that's very unique uh and very important so the, the the take-home is high voltage electrical injury you can see the devastation you treat it you get the burn team uh we just have to react to that and respond to that and we do um, but what happens when you don't see anything? This is a low voltage injury. As, remember it's just under a thousand volts. You don't see much, there's nothing visible, and there's damage to those patients and uh, they oftentimes they are ignored they 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 cry for help they uh, they they say, "I have these problems, I have these symptoms, and they're completely ignored, and sometimes they feel like nobody's listening to them I put their hand in the sand or they're sitting at the edge and they're losing life, quality of life, and nobody can help them. So what is going on? Where do we ha- Why do we have a problem with low-voltage electrical injury? And to answer this, we did a study a couple of years back where we compared uh, the literature. We looked in the literature and saying what's out there comparing low-voltage to high-voltage, that you can see here? And there are some that is not specified. And you can see here <clears throat> that low-voltage is quite impressive, that 55% of patients who have a low-voltage injury, that people say, oh, there is nothing. Requires surgery versus, okay, 79% for high voltage, which is a given. But you can see here, too, escharotomies or fasciotomies, immediate amputations are higher. But you still have a significant amount of patients in the low-voltage injuries that require surgery. They stay quite a long time in the hospital, and they have also a mortality. These patients die, like, uh, to a similar rate, which is not, again, it was not statistically different then high voltage so low voltage injury are at risk of death and that's very important and this is what we published in a in a journal on saying people need to be aware of the fact that even a low voltage injury patient can die and you can see here the the mortality curve what they die of it's uh infection organ failure renal failure neurologic they have a brain damage uh, heart attacks and you can see here that the it's quite quite striking that you can see the, the mortality is so high in low voltage injury. So that is something that we then reported back to the board uh, of the uh, uh, safety authority and said, you know, we need to work on this. Even low voltage injury ha- are associated with a high mortality. So that was our first study. Then what we did second, uh, we basically then looked at our own population. And so we admitted patients over 16 years uh, with electrical injuries. So you can see it's 207 to uh, acutely. And then we looked also when they went on to rehab. So we not only looked acutely, we also looked long term. And you can see here very, very amazingly that there were high voltage were 76, low voltage were 122. And you can see there is three days in the hospital, two days in the hospital, some stay longer, some stay shorter. Uh, I'm sorry, that's uh, normal 14 days and eight days. So there is a little bit of a difference but not so much low voltage are sicker than we believe the complications yes you have more muscle damage in high voltage more compartments, more infections but you still have it in low voltage injuries organ failure uh you have this well amputations you uh, have it in high voltage for sure but you have it in low voltage as well and again discharging uh you see the percent is not that much different and then you see here again mortality we lost out of 76 patients we lost three And out of 122, we lost one. So we actually are, I think, doing a great job in terms of keeping patients alive. But there's still mortality in high and low voltage um, that happened at our institute. And you can see here, this is the survival curve. It happens early after the injury. In the first four or five days is where electrically injured patients are at risk not to survive the injury. And knowing this now, so we changed our approach to much more aggressive surgeries, much more aggressive organ making. Uh, and organ support, and much more aggressive critical care. So that was what we learned from this study. But now we enter something that's even more fascinating. We, when we look at the mental health, and I'm sure you all have know somebody who got an electrical injury who have mental health issues. And when we looked at our patients acutely, that's the acute cohort, you can see that 23% of high and 23% of low had mental health problem during the acute stay that's quite a number and there's no difference between high and low voltage but now look at the long-term cohort we had a good number 51 and 69 we had uh it takes a long time for them to follow up look at this this is so frustrating if you're electrically injured it it takes almost a year for you to be seen by somebody. over a year and then uh, the low voltage is close to 250 and this is just insane that you need to wait almost two years to see a position when you have problems. and you can see here the long-term mental health problems are in 82 percent within five years and then 35 uh, percent that are longer than five years so there is a significant amount of patients that are meant they have mental health problems that persist for more than five years, 35 and uh, 20%. But 80% have mental health problems within the first five years of the injury. And 70% in both groups seek psychological psychiatric treatment. And I think that it is very telling because this is, again, as I said, completely underestimated, completely not recognized, and this is important. So acutely, there are flashbacks, there are sleep difficulties, there is some memory concentrations and some pain um but this is acute remember this is the acute phase and this changes completely now uh long term depression anxiety flashbacks, sleep difficulties memory concentration headaches pain avoidance hypervigilance so you can see here that these patients 60 of of our patients had mental health depression and anxiety headaches uh couldn't sleep um and so forth uh, that is striking and they were 40 percent of these patients and you can see here the differentiation between high and low voltage there is not much of a difference you have manifest major depressive disorder acute depression as well as ptsd post traumatic stress disorder that means there is no real difference in all of these graphs between high and low voltage and mental health so the take-home message is that almost two-thirds of our patients will develop regardless of high or low voltage mental health issues. And that is quite striking. And uh, I think that's extremely telling. And now speaking to unions or, or companies, well what's the chance of going back to work? Well, uh sixty percent went back to work, but sixty-five percent of those sixty percent had modified duties, fifty had modified schedules, 20 percent had to re-entry assessment, and I'm unable to return to work about 20 percent. And it took about a year to go back to work. So that basically tells me that only a minimal point in only about 20 percent, um, 15 to 20 percent have no complication to return to work. Sixty percent need modification, and 15 percent actually never make it back to work, 15 to 20. So that's again, striking, and there is again. No real difference between high and low voltage. All the attention goes to high voltage. Nobody pays attention to low voltage. And that is, in my opinion, very telling, that people are not being recognized having the, the symptoms, the problems as they do. So what do we need to do? What do we need to be vigilant about? Well, how can we approach? This? So first of all, I think that uh, when I look back in these big studies that you can see here, uh, and these were, again, here, 110 volts, uh, and so forth. You can read it, over 10,000 volts, 136 patients, no loss of conscience. And they looked at the symptoms, and you can you know all these symptoms. Muscle aches, spasms, fatigue. These are all acutely. Busyness, back problems, muscle cramps, heart palpitation, thirst, perspiration, and so forth. You, you know all of these. But it is not so much the acute phase that I'm worried about. It's the long term. And you can see here, baseline is immediately this is sick, greater than six months look at the changes increase in muscle aches increase in fatigue from nine percent to 51 percent tingling in hands, six percent to fifty percent muscle spasms fifty percent exhaustion weakness numbness cramps stiffness weakness and grips numb headaches sexual dysfunction from one to thirty three percent insomnia fear anxiety lack of motivation personality changes, unexplained sadness depression you can see all of this goes up 20 to 30 to 40 to 50 fold and feeling of hopelessness. I mean, this is just staggering how we have the data, but we are, I don't think that when you talk to, for example, various insurance companies or workmen's comps, the not knowing about these problems of the low electrical, low voltage electrical injury is, is, is mind boggling because they're like, oh, that, that is not the injury that was before so what can we do to diagnosis how can we objectively point these the symptoms out and well i can tell you right now so let's look at the specialty consultation A paper from 12 some time ago uh contact and flash this is flash burn and this is electrical burn electrical injuries you can see here that psychology was 36 and 42 percent no difference between a burn and an ei the contact is the ei this is the flash so the regular burn Neurology was contacted 21% and 4% here. And then you can see all the diagnostic tests between the electrical and the brands, and you can see there is nothing there. So what does it tell us? What does it tell us? It tells us that 80% of our specialty consultations are negative and 72% of diagnostics tests are negative. You can run all the MRI, all the x-rays, all the CT scans, all the nerve conduction studies, all the EMGs, you will not find low voltage electrical injury symptoms and that's the problem there are no tests that show what is going on that anybody can say we can objectify this this was a paper by dr gardner she was a psycho psychologist and you can see the only the only hope there is is that if you use the post-traumatic stress disorder um diagnosis axis you diagnose electrical uh, injury, injury injury patient with depression. You can see it here in those patients. 25 of those patients, it's 80, 90% have symptoms when you use these tests. The problem is this is, again, subjective. And it's much more you can see here. This is almost double when to skull, to flame, to chemical, and to contact. But it is subjective. And that is, again, it's a problem because you can write your letter based on your axis, based on this criteria. We see this, but nobody believes it. And there's also something staggering about it. If we ask us further, what is the cause that low electrical injury can change these symptoms? And again, I would like to shout out to Sarah, who, um, you know, have we had some good discussions about it, what happens in some others and other patients that I have um, with Dr. Pat and so forth. And there is something called channelopathy. And you could, this, this, just, I'm not going into biology, not to bore you. But this is a cell membrane. So our cells have membranes. And normally that's closed and looks good. And uh, look at these pores that come when you have a trauma. And usually the cells have minor electricity, like here on the right side. There's electricity going on there and it's opening the pores. And there's usually sodium, potassium going in and out, whatever. There's a little tiny electricity going. And it's in the 1,000-fold, 1,000,000-fold smaller than when you get electrically injured, even with one 1 billion. It's like a million times lower. And so what happens when you injure it, those channels really get open and screwed up. So these electrical current makes these little holes, these nanopoles on the wall of the cell. And they leak like a sinking ship. The cell take on water, lose their content, but they eventually die. And that's where you can go into symptoms. And the initial damage is so isolated to the past that it receives the highest current. But as time progresses, the cells around it get damaged and also gets uh, destroyed. They don't have oxygen, they don't have the nutrition. You know, they all start to die off. And that causes this neurodegeneration when people are paraplegic, when people can, have, uh, can walk the left side of their body, they can't feel, they have the neuropathic pain, they have seizures. All of this is because those channels are destroyed. And you can see here, um, this as I said, in your electrical chop by a single 4 millisecond, 500 millivolts may decrease 20%, 4 milliseconds, 500 millivolts. Where do you have 500 millivolts? Four hundred four milliseconds. It actually changes 20 to 30% of those channels. So even licking a battery can destroy channels. Don't lick battery. Just you need to be sure that everybody understands low voltage electrical injuries can be Millivolts at milliseconds can cause damage to the cells, and that's devastating. And look at the symptoms of this channelopathy. Just look at that. When you look, there's diseases that cause channelopathies, genetic diseases. But when you look at these, the symptoms of these channelopathies, it's muscle spasm. Well, we have that dystonia. We have that fasciculation, that means shaking. Yes, we have that. Can't walk, weakness, paralysis, hemiplegia, chronic pain, seizures, migraines, long-term heart alterations, kidney problems. Does it sound familiar to you? That's exactly the symptoms I described earlier when you have low voltage injury. So those mini, mini micro nano voltage channels, when they destroyed, they can cause these symptoms exactly as as described. So now we have a little bit of an idea. Now we have a problem. Now we have it identified, but now where we go from here. So what can we do as, as electrical injury uh, industry are supporters or knowledge well i think we need to really go out and raise awareness of society medical field particularly particularly insurers particularly workman's compensations particularly employers have to be knowledgeable about electrical injury on a molecular level on a mechanistic level identify channels but what can you do as a patient lifestyle changes dietary modifications awareness of triggers because usually like seizures when you have certain incidences can trigger it so people need to change their lives. But again, people also need to be understood what happened in order for them to change their lives. So that's, I think that's very much key. And in order to do this, we need to build bridges. And for example, that's what we did uh, at Sunnybrook and St. John's. We built an electrical injury program. And it is a collaboration between St. John's, Sunnybrook, North Redbrook, WSRB, Critical Hydro One, Power Work, Union, Electrical Safety, Toronto Hydro. And we started this about 11, 12, 13 years ago. And the expertise that is now coming from there is quite unique and we have a multidisciplinary group, I'll show you in a second, Uh, but also what we to treat patients, but what we also have is novel technologies to improve the outcomes of the eye patients. And that's our rehab hospital, I'm not gonna bore you, but it's a beautiful hospital, has 154 inpatients, but we mainly use it for outpatients uh, visits and we have, uh, tremendous staff, tremendous knowledge. And, uh, you can see here, some of our demographics, it's burn and electrical. It's about 14 that we admit, uh, we carry usually about 50 to hundred patients for the EIs, uh, a year. And, uh, what we do, what we'll we intend to look at this, this is exactly Does it look familiar to you? We copied the burn team. This is where I circle back to the beginning. We copied the burn team physicians such as psychiatry, psychology, psychiatry, nursing, pharmacy, and so on, exactly the same specialties that help burn patients to survive. This is what we're doing now to help EI patients to thrive and restore their lives. And I think that hopefully will make a difference. And what we also do is raise awareness. We go to the government. We go to Workman's Com, to WSIB. We reach out. We give presentations. We really raise awareness throughout the nation. And, um, uh, and I think that's a very important aspect of what we have to do. So, uh, conclusions are clean electrical burn patients have a limited ability to return to work, a poor quality of life, end of story, period. And it's completely ignored and it's long-term that the, the consequences are most prevalent and dominant. And it's not only the scars that you see, there's emotional, psychological distress, Uh, There is depression. There is numerous symptoms. uh, Physical, emotional, neurologically. That are playing a key emotion and a key point. Is there hope for us? To a certain degree. Again, that multidisciplinary team. I think we made some progress for some patients. But we still have a lot of patients where we fail. Where we do not improve their quality of life. And it's very frustrating. Because despite what we know. We're still not there yet. Uh, But what we do know and you just focus on those two, is that rehabilitation, our multidisciplinary team makes a big difference uh, in terms of uh, for rehabilitation return to life. So that is something this multidisciplinary team can shorten the length of stay, can improve the long-term outcomes and the quality of life thereafter. So that is the first right approach uh, that we're having and that's essential. And the next thing what we need to do, and I propose this to you, to reach out to your colleagues across the nation to form a Canadian electrical injury network, I think it is doesn't exist. Uh, I think it's crucial that unions or organizations that deal with electricity reach across the borders and saying, you know, look, it needs to be across the the provinces to form a network that deals with EI and knowledge can be shared on a platform as uh, social media or even in meetings. Um, we started having a Canadian burn conference. And the next one, if you wanna come, will be in person in fall in Montreal. Um, And if you're interested, touch base with me, but I think the EI network can join here, uh, but should be its own entity to really be there, be patient advocates and be there to help patients. And so lastly, I would just also another story that is my personal hero story is how do we actually score how do we overcome failure and be resilient? And again, this is not a nice picture, the last one, but this is the story of Prince. And the story of Prince is he was a alcoholic, drug-abusing, 23, 24-year-old, young gentleman, lost in life, until one night. He just went to bed. He didn't, he plugged in his heater in his electric, electrical, electrical outlet, it sparked and caused the fire. But he was so drunk, so incapacitated that it burned And there was an injury. He passed out and the house was on fire, second floor. His friend got out, his roommate... Realized he forgot his MacBook. So then uh, that was Prince's survival. And so yeah, the friend went back and uh, went up and tripped over Prince, who was out there, half out in the fire, half in, the house, uh, half in his room, half out. Uh, passed out, and the friend had to decide, MacBook or friend, or Prince. So he decided for Prince, dragged him down because Prince was unconscious, and falling his head, banging down the stairs, coming down, 80% burned, totally incarcerated, did, did not know what's going on. And so that's how Prince came to me. And Prince was with us, I would say, about three, four months. He lost extremities. He was dead every single day because he was septic in organ failure. His kidney was shut down. His liver was shut down. Uh, everything was shut down because he had nothing to the fore in life. Um, and, but he pulled through and uh, it's quite remarkable how he pulled through. And then uh, he's my patient as well. And so you can see then there's millions of reconstructive surgeries. You can see his face, his keloids, his scars. His hair was gone his face uh, so we started working on and improving so then over time we just did surgeries we also improved the scars on his body and so yeah, hundreds of surgeries uh later and prince came to came to peace and realizing i got burnt i lost arms i lost part of my feet uh but I, i'm alive and this is who i am and so prince became an actor and the motivational speaker and this is prince when he was thinking contemplating about his role and prince is now recognized all over in that same on stage look his scars all over he has no lower arm he has no uh, arm here part of his leg is gone and has no hair debilitated as all over his body but he shows this and he's proud of it and he's dancing here on stage and and, and is acting and again how he overcame the resilience and i i talked to him a lot and um he says i have a new gift i have a new life and he's very positive he has no more drugs and he said no more alcohol until he visited me here this was his third burn anniversary he was very drunk but he said he had to come and show me show his love for me and his his appreciation so he came and visited me he was and i you know i was just like you know prince i'm i'm just proud of you and again you see us to here and he's one of my heroes because he overcame something that was so devastating and again this is some some patients, and this is why we do this, and this is why we help people. Uh, this is part of our teams, our clinical teams, as you see here. It's about 120, patients, uh, people working for these patients. And that's just the acute service. I don't have the St. John's here. And this is uh, what we do, too, is innovation and research. The lab for 25 people that's supported a lot by the electrical industry in order to print new skin. That's why we have a skin printing device. Uh, we have how to regrow extremities, how to regenerate the uh, tissues that has gone damaged, damaged and so forth. And this is, uh, cyber. this is where the burn center is right here in the clock tower. The entire floor is the burn center, uh, in the older building, not the nice building, but again, and, uh, so with that, I would like to thank you for your invitation and your attention. And, uh, if there's any question, i happy to, to answer any questions. So thank you very much.
0: <clears> thank <throat> you.
1: So that's a lot of great information. Thank you, Dr. Yashki. We're very grateful for you sharing all that information with us and the illustrations. Um, I guess we would like to open up the floor for questions. Um, I think we have the technical technological uh, capabilities to uh, do that with folks from home. So we'll open up the floor for any questions for Dr. Yashke. Jeffrey, you raised your hand, so i mute yourself. Ah, uh, thanks, thanks for that presentation, uh, fantastic. Just wondering if there is much uh, internationally, are there other EI units internationally that me modeling after that you're aware of and what, uh, what you've seen out there? Uh, I have not seen international EI. So again, I, I find it very frustrating that EI is part of a burn uh, initiative. There is a international burn society. There's America, every, every country has a burn society, but let's face it, uh, the Europeans don't have a lot of burns. Uh, the Australians have it under control. And the countries actually that needed Africa, India, Asia, they, they don't have that formation. Um, and there is no, no real separation, which I think is very important because as I, I think I hope my point came across, basically, that electrical injuries are unique injury. And we needed to do a lot of research, investigations, and uh, patient-centered treatments, which is lacking right now. And this does not exist at this time. Thank you. Yeah. Sarah, I see you hand too. In order to better research people with a history of electrical injury to understand the trajectory, um, would it be advantageous to study people with documented and known electrical exposure? yeah the answer is yes i think it would be it would be very helpful to study these patients but the problem will be and i'll tell you what the problem is we made a lot of progress in burns because we were able to obtain tissues we could take skin fat muscle blood um and that's a problem with electrical injuries particularly low voltage because there is no access to tissue and not all patients will donate their nerves or their muscle or their, their skin right to understand what is really going on that's why a lot of our diagnosis and a lot in low legenda is is hypothesis driven it's speculation um and i think that's a challenge and i believe that um to have patients and see is there funds available from higher ups you need money for doing studies um and I can tell you from my own experience, when my first CHR grad. So CHR is the Canadian Institute of Health Research. And the first grant I ever wrote and asked for money to do a burn trial. Can you guess what the answer was from CHR? Since when are we doing burn studies in Canada? Is this important? Do we have burn patients in Canada? That was the, that was the response I got from the government when I asked for money. But it was 11 years ago and. So the recognition of burn, even burns, let alone EI, if I go to House Canada and look for money for EI studies, I think it's going to be very challenging and they will never really support this. So one would need to be very creative. And that's why maybe creating a network, maybe having uh, provinces, provinces come together and saying, we actually chip in together. What can we do to improve the quality of life, the research, the innovation? um to get this started i think that would be a first start and then look for patients who would be volunteers who said yes we volunteer please look what's happening with us how can you help us how can you advance ours our current status
0: thank you i just want to do um thank uh, dr Yasky for doing this and uh for being a tremendous support over this last year um if anybody doesn't know, um, Dr. Yesky diagnosed me with this injury, and he's been a tremendous help to me. Thank you, sir.
1: Thank you, John. Anytime. Again, the lack of awareness. No, I think you would agree, probably Sarah, would some others will agree. Many, many people will agree that it's a lack of awareness, and the ignorance people you face is tremendous, and it's staggering that uh, what I see from patients coming to St. John's or requesting it's just unbelievable how much not knowing is out there, uh, even in, in our country.
0: I'd uh, like to mention to everybody that's on this. Um, I've been raising awareness for the last year on LinkedIn. I've had, um, several of our own members come forward, uh, expressing, um, symptoms similar to mine, and there's close to 10 men in the province of Alberta, um, that are looking for some help. Yeah. And, and again, my proposal is to create a Canadian
1: electrical engine network. It's not in place. I'm just proposing it. I actually, when I put this talk together, I was thinking about it. I said the only way to get a voice on, it's not personal, LinkedIn, that's a start. But it, it's much more powerful if you create a network across the country where you have support from all, all, all kinds of, from the unions, from the safety authorities, from the, the workmen's call from physician and saying, we create a network and we have a voice and that voice has to go towards Ottawa and has to be heard because there's something that we're lacking and we need help. And, uh, again, I was
0: thinking about it while I was putting this talk together because it's not in existence. I've located a doctor at the university of Alberta that Dr. Yeski is lawyer with as well, Dr. Wong. And, um, he's said that he'd be interested in learning what they're doing there more. Yeah, he had some training in Seattle, so basically
1: that, uh, you know, again, they have electrical injuries as well, uh, so maybe that will work. Any other questions? I, I don't see hand. Maybe the audience, anything else? Sarah, yes? Could you please speak to the uh, neurological problems that people develop that progress? Yeah. The- so the, um, the neurologic, it's, uh, it's like a chameleon. It's very complex. I've seen patients that have uh, stroke symptoms. I've seen patients that have one side of their body they can't walk. I've seen patients that have, I actually I've seen it lot migraines, headaches, lack of concentration, can't sleep, pain, uh, neuropathic pain, just the shaking of your, your muscle, the fasciculations. The insomnia, the lack of concentration, the uh, GI problems. For example, there is no bowel movement or constant nausea after eating, which is again probably nerve-related because it doesn't transport the food. I can go on and on and on and on that list. Um, there is there are so many symptoms, and they are so nonspecific. And then what usually happens is you go to a doc and say, "Oh, I have these headaches." So then they do a CT scan, nothing. They do an MRI scan. They say. Minimal changes, white matter changes, which means nothing. They're like, well, there's nothing. Sorry, can't help you. Then they do EEGs, nothing. EMGs, nothing. But you have these symptoms. And that's, that's the problem What I tried to delineate in the talk. Uh, you have a million symptoms neurologically, but there is no clear test that can diagnose what this actually is. But if you look, open up a neurology textbook and you look at all the symptoms, electrical injury can have all these symptoms, every single one.
0: Thank you. I'm filled up at the moment. Okay, there's I found the Okay,